He's known as the voice of Creed and has gone on to create music as a really successful solo artist. It's a true honor to meet with music legend Scott Stapp. Thanks for joining The Antidote, Scott. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Well, Scott, you're on a new tour for Proof of Life. Is it tough to get back into that tour routine? Uh, you know, there is a transitional period, you know. Uh, it's, it's definitely uh, an athletic venture, you know, performance-wise uh, and the schedule. Uh, and so, you know, uh, I prepared pretty well, but there's nothing like getting out and doing shows to get you uh, in show shape. So, uh, you know, it's starting to feel good. But then has touring ever become tiresome over all these years? It does at times, you know. Uh, the, the travel and the wear and tear can take a toll. Uh, and, you know, so what we've learned to do is just get the proper time off in, in between shows and, and, and during the schedule uh, so we can rejuvenate, so we have, you know, all the energy we need to put on the rock and roll show that we want to do. I'm really interested in getting back into your past because, you know, a lot of bands that are listened to by a musician during their teen years often really shape an artist's future music. Do you think that applies to you, Scott? I definitely think so. Um, you know, I mean, with the big arena rock bands that I started listening to when I was nine and 10 years old, you know, Def Leppard um, being primarily uh, the major influence, you know, ACDC, all, all of those types of bands really impacted how I envisioned the rock band I wanted to be in. Uh, and then as I got into my teens and really got into to U2, that really shaped the type of, of relationship I wanted to have with my bandmates and really the content of, of, how I wanted to write my songs and how I wanted them to impact people emotionally. So, uh, you know, further on and later in my late teens, I got into the doors, um, which, you know, kind of affected me, uh, in a good way and a bad way. In, in a good way, you know, I really began to approach my lyric writing, um, as an art form in itself, uh, and as a poetic, uh, standalone type, uh, writing experience uh, and then in a bad way in terms of the whole how you're supposed to be in a rock and roll band you know mm -hmm. kind of that that rebel kind of party kind of rock star as jim morrison was uh you know in my naivety of my youth i thought that's how you were supposed to be and so you know uh, as i'm in the position now and have have lived the life and been through it all you know i would definitely kind of you know, advise younger bands and, and people that aspire to, to be in, in, in rock and roll, that that's not the way to go. You know, focus on the music and, and on living a healthy life and, and good things will happen. Well, I know during the past year and a half, you made a lot of headlines by posting some, I guess, pretty disturbing Facebook videos, you know, living out of your vehicle, having no money, giving away your possessions. And then you went on into a clinic to find out that this was really an elongated manic episode and you were diagnosed as bipolar. How did you react to that? Well, initially, I didn't want to accept it. Uh, you know, the last thing that I wanted to believe was that I was suffering from, you know, a mental health issue because I, I felt the same stigma as I think a lot of people feel when they hear mental health. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but really, you know, after going through uh, the programs that I went through and, and, and really doing the research and, and studying it, it really opened my eyes and, and began to make sense of the last 20 years of my life uh, with the highs and the lows and, and the cycle. Uh, 